Well, good morning, everybody. Um, by way of introduction to the sermon that I'll be reading in a few moments, um, it was a sermon that was um, written and preached by Pastor Van, Van Eyck, who was a pastor here, for those of you who may not know Pastor Van Eyck, he was a pastor here at Riverside many years ago, um, and who we still see in our pulpit from time to time um, during our vacancy. Uh, permission was asked, and it was granted by John to uh, read this sermon entitled, Guard Your Heart. Um, the sermon goes back to the year of 2004, so if you can remember that sermon, that's great. Um, before we come uh, to the sermon and before we read God's word, um, let us just come um, and bow before our God in prayer, in our prayer of illumination. Let's pray. O oh Lord, you are the living, the holy, and true God. Through all your creation, you have shown us your wonderful and majestic works. You have left your fingerprint behind on all the things that you have created, but you have not called us to seek you and find you in the beauty of your creation. You have called us to seek you out in the riches of your holy word, for it is in scripture alone that you have revealed yourself and your son, Jesus Christ. And it is scripture that demands our attention to you so that we can fully understand who you are and who we are to you. It is in your word that the work of the Holy Spirit may act upon our hearts, showing the riches of the gospel, changing us from within and to all for your glory alone. Lord, help us to be attentive to your word and to the instruction so that your spirit may be able to change our hearts. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Our scripture reading this morning will be from Mark chapter 7, verses 1 to 23. So that's Mark 1, or sorry, Mark 7, 1 to 23. Mark 7, 1. Now when the Pharisees gathered to him with some of the scribes who had come from Jerusalem, they saw that some of his disciples ate with hands that were defiled, that is, unwashed. For the Pharisees and all the Jews did not eat unless they washed their hands, holding to the traditions of the elders. And when they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash. And there are many other traditions that they observe, such as washing of cups, pots, and copper vessels, and dining couches. And the Pharisees and the scribes asked him, Why do your disciples not walk according to the tradition of the elders, but eat with defiled hands? And he said to them, Well did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites, as it is written, this people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. You leave the commandment of God and hold to the tradition of men. And he said to them, You have a fine way of rejecting the commandment of God 
in order to establish your tradition. For Moses said, honor your father and your mother, and whoever reviles father or mother must surely die. But you say, if a man tells his father or his brother, whatever you have gained from me is Corban, that is, given to God, then you no longer permit him to do anything for his father or mother, thus making void the word of God by your tradition that you have handed down, and many such things you do. And he called the people to him again and said to them, Hear me, all of you, and understand, there is nothing outside a person that by going into him can defile him, but the things that come out of a person are what defile him. And when he entered the house and left the people, his disciples asked him about the parable. And he said to them, Then you also, without understanding, do you not see that whatever goes into a person from outside cannot defile him, since it enters not into his heart, but his stomach, and is expelled? Thus he declared, all foods clean. And he said, what comes out of a person is what defiles him. For from within, out of the heart of man, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within, and they defile a person. This is the reading of God's word. A father comes home from work, and he didn't have a very productive day. It was a frustrating day, in fact. The computer crashed around 11, and by 3, he had received a call from one, that one of his clients was moving on to another company. And the drive home didn't help either. The traffic was gnarled due to a winter storm. And so when his son spilled a glass of milk at the supper table, accidentally, of course, what else could he do but yell at his son for being so stupid? And when the boy cried, his mother said, it's all right, sweetheart. Daddy just had a difficult day at work. There's a member of the church who's a little rough around the edges. He's sarcastic and often makes cutting comments. Seldom is heard an encouraging word. Oh, people know about it, but no one addresses him about it because he's a smith, and they're all like that. Little Mary has been good for most of the day, but it's three o'clock in the afternoon, and her mother has just told her to put her toys away. And Mary lies on the floor and begins flailing her arms and her legs. Oh, she must be tired, the mother says, and she picks Mary up and tucks her in bed. The government spends a lot of money trying to stop speeding on our roads and our highways, because we all know the effects of excessive speeding. 
And yet we still see people speeding down our roads, and we ask why. No one disputes that yelling at your son and acts of kindness and temper tantrums are undesirable. But what the responses to these actions indicate is a superficial view of sin, much along the lines of the Pharisees. And in the text of the passage that we read this morning, Jesus addresses the questions of where uncleanliness comes from. It is from the out, is it from the outside or is it from the inside? You'll remember that the Pharisees had sent a special investigative unit to spy on the Lord Jesus and his teaching. They were hoping to catch some dirt on him that they could use to undermine his ministry. They were hoping um, to see anything they could on him. And as it happened, they actually found some dirt on his hands and on the hands of the disciples. And they accused Jesus of letting his disciples eat with unwashed hands. The Pharisees were clean freaks, and not for hygienic reasons, but for ritual or ceremonial reasons. They were concerned to maintain ritual cleanliness and went through elaborate ceremonies prior to and even during meals. This was the tradition of the elders that the Pharisees sought so strenuously to maintain. Jesus accused them of being hypocrites and honoring God with their lips, but not with their hearts. And Jesus called into question the validity of their worship because they had elevated the importance of the teachings of men, like the tradition of hand-washing before eating over the commandments of God. He lambastes them for nullifying or setting aside the word of God, in effect rejecting it for the wisdom and learning of fallible men. But weren't they right to be concerned about cleanliness before God? Shouldn't we have pure hands when we approach God? Isn't it important that we come before the piercing eyes of a holy God with purity? Yes, indeed, it was and is important. We are to lift up, for example, holy hands to the Lord. When Paul says in 1 Timothy 2.8, I desire then that in every place the men should pray, lifting holy hands without anger or quarreling. But, call, but the call to ceremonial and ritual purity had now become a sign of the call to moral purity. The Pharisees had made the sign the thing itself. The problem with the Pharisees is that they had externalized sin. They thought that holiness and godliness were matters of outward performance, a matter of clean hands and following the traditions of the elders. It was a matter of eating the right foods and of abstaining from the wrong ones. And if managed to do the right things, they were kept from sin and therefore were pleasing to God. It was true that in the Old Testament, God forbade the eating of certain foods. Pork, for example, was not to be eaten by God's people. 
Nevertheless, the Old Testament was never intended to be understood as teaching that if you kept yourself from certain foods, you would be right with God. Salvation was never a mechanical conformity, a list of do's and don'ts. It never was, and it never could be. God called for the heart. The heart needed to be circumcised. In Deuteronomy 10, 12 through 17, it says, And now, Israel, what does the Lord your God require of you but to fear the Lord your God, to walk in all his ways, to love him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, and to keep the commandments and statutes of the Lord, which I am commanding you today for your good. Behold the Lord your God, belong heaven and the heaven of heavens, and the earth with all that is in it. Yet the Lord set his heart and love on your fathers and chose their offspring after them, you above all peoples, as you are this day. Circumcise, therefore, the foreskin of your heart, and be no longer stubborn, for the Lord your God is the God of gods and the Lord of lords and the great and mighty and awesome God who is not partial and takes no bribe. So the view of impressing God by one's conformity to ceremonial law of God's of humans making was widespread. And it wasn't simply the thoughts of the Pharisees. Most Jews would have thought that one could make a favorable impression on God by one's actions. And so Jesus calls the crowd together and sets them straight. In verse 15, he says, Nothing outside a man can make him unclean by going into him. Rather, it is what comes out of a man that makes him unclean. Now, this is pretty basic. And yet, even his disciples had been taken aback by what Jesus had said, because they asked him in verse 17. And this shows again how common the Pharisees' view had become among the people. And so we see in verse 17 that Jesus leaves the crowd and he enters a house. And the inside-outside dynamic in Mark surfaces again. To those on the outside, he speaks in parables. To those on the inside, he explains himself and he gives them the secret of the kingdom of God. And from 17 onward, Jesus speaks to his disciples. Well, what does Jesus say? He first explains why it cannot be that what enters into a person makes him guilty before God. Eating some foods cannot make you a sinner, he says, and abstaining from certain foods cannot make you holy. He is surprised that they don't see it. Are you so dull, he asks. And everyone knows that whatever enters a person from the outside goes in one end and out the other. It doesn't go into the heart, but into the stomach. By saying this, Mark informs us that Jesus was declaring all foods clean, and this is why Christians can eat pork and are no longer bound to the dietary laws of the Jews. All foods are fair game for Christians. 
We may abstain from food if we're fasting, and we may forego some foods for the sake of our brothers and our sisters in Christ. But we are at liberty now to eat all foods as a Christian. In reminding the disciples that food doesn't go into one's heart, but into one's stomach, Jesus hits on the heart of the matter. Because the heart of the matter, as we stand before God, is the matter of our heart. All foods may be clean, but all hearts are unclean. And that is our problem. When the Bible speaks about the heart of man, it isn't referring to that anatomical organ in your chest cavity that pumps blood that courses throughout your body. The heart, biblically speaking, is the center of our being. It is out of the heart that the wellsprings of life issue. It is the heart that determines our actions and thoughts and words. As Jesus himself said in Matthew 12, 34, you brood of vipers, how can you speak good when you are evil? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And this is the problem with sinners. Remaining uncontaminated from moral purity is not as easy as staying away from bad company or having good days at work or sequestering oneself in a monastery. You can avoid all the world's influences. You can be free from the harassment of the devil and you will still be unacceptable to God. Why? Because you cannot escape your heart. It is our heart that makes us unclean before God and therefore unacceptable to him. The heart of the problem is the problem of the heart. Do you remember God's indictment of his creatures in Genesis 6-5? Where he says, The Lord saw how great man's wickedness on the earth had become and that every inclination of the thought of his heart was only evil all the time. And Jeremiah the prophet, as he was reflecting on why the Israelites refused to turn from their sin and submit themselves to God's gracious law, said in Jeremiah 17.1, that the sin of Judah is written with a pen of iron, with a point of diamond it is engraved on the tablet of their heart. And just a few verses down in verse 9, he says, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? The heart of the problem is the problem of the heart. And this is why Jesus says in verse 20 to 23, what comes out of a man is what makes him unclean. For from within, out of men's hearts, comes evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit, lewdness, envy, slander, arrogance, and folly. All these evils come from inside and make a man unclean. This is a horrible and unflattering portrayal of the human heart, and it goes contrary to popular opinion. Oh, sure, people like Hitler, Bernardo, and the Green River Killer are crazy. 
But the world teaches man is basically good. To be sure, we have our idiosyncrasies, and we could be better, but at the end of the day, we're pretty good, right? But if you know your own heart just a little bit, you know that everything that Jesus said is true. Our hearts are evil. Where does the jealousy come from at the success of others? What would cause us unprovoked to gossip about someone else? And where do those thoughts of sexual immorality come from? Where do the temptations to cheat on your tax returns spring from? Ah, you know it all too well. It's from our hearts. Well did Calvin write when he said that the human heart is a perpetual factory of idols. And Robert Murray McShane, that saintly priest of the gospel, was speaking the truth when he said, the seeds of every known sin reside within the human heart, dormant at times, alive at others. In his introduction to the second edition to the Screwtape Letters, C.S. Lewis wrote, Some have paid me an undeserved compliment by supposing that my letters were the ripe fruit of many years of study in moral and ascetic theology. They forgot that there is an equally reliable, though less credible way of learning how temptation works. My heart. I need no others. Showeth me the wickedness of the ungodly. Say it isn't so. And the great tragedy of the Pharisees was that they didn't know their own hearts. They thought that they merely needed to renovate their lives to please God. Little did they know that it was their heart that needed a thorough renovation. And so it's no wonder Jesus called them whitewashed tombs in Matthew 23, 27, when he says to them, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs, which outwardly appear beautiful, but within are full of dead people's bones and all uncleanliness. So you also outwardly appear righteous to others, but with you, you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. They look nice on the outside, but in the inside, they're full of dead man's bones. You can dress him up, you can't take him out. The heart of the problem is the problem of the heart. So where does this leave us? What do we need to do? Trust in Jesus Christ for our salvation. He alone is able to clean a dirty heart. He alone is able to wash the guilt and the stain of our sins away. But here again, we see how evil our hearts are. They are so evil that even when grace is preferred, we will not embrace that grace. We will not believe and receive Christ. The Lord first needs to open our heart like Lydia's in Acts 16. But we need to believe in Christ so that we can worship from our heart. And we hear these words from the writer of Hebrews 
in Hebrews 10, 16 and 17. This is the covenant that I will make with them. And after those days, declares the Lord, I will put my laws on their heart and write them on their minds. And he adds, I, I, will, I will blot out their sins and their lawless deeds, and I will remember them no more. When dealing with our sin in our lives and in the lives of each other, go for the heart. The father who yells at his children has a heart problem and his unproductive day at work might show up and what might show up what is in his heart, but it didn't put the sin there. A young girl throwing a temper tantrum might be tired. If not, she will be afterward. But she has a heart problem. She refuses to submit to her mother. And that is why the wise men said, foolishness is bound up in the heart of the child, Proverbs 22:15. The unkind person is not unkind because he's a smith, except for the fact that his father and mother have given him a sinful heart that responds with sarcasm and harshness towards others. We need the Holy Spirit to deal not simply with our actions, but with our hearts and to break the sinful tendencies that reside there. You might think that you've conquered anger, for example, if you're able to keep it under control for some time. But when the situation becomes uncommonly stressful, you realize all too quickly that anger still resides in your sinful heart. It isn't anger management classes that are needed. We need to root out anger out of our heart and replace it with godliness. The heart of the matter is the matter of the heart. The heart of the problem is the problem of the heart. Guard your heart. Let's pray. Lord, after a sermon like this, we come humbly before your throne of grace, acknowledging our sinful hearts before you. Lord, help us to see, confess, and repent of our sins that fully lay before you and you alone. Help us to root out the evil that exists in all of our hearts and to replace it with the godliness that can only come from you. Lord, help us to see our hopelessness and then to come running to the feet of Jesus, putting our hope and trust in him alone. For it is in Jesus' name alone that we pray these things. Amen.